Good afternoon, my name is Brian Parks and I serve as one of the elders here. Where do you need help in your life? Based on the top book or audiobook sales on Amazon.com, some of your friends, maybe even you, might be seeking help with things like changing your habits. Number two on the self-help bestseller list is Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. Now, I'll admit, I'm kind of curious about this one. I like the title. What about power? Are you feeling like you're a pawn in the chess game of office politics? Well, number six on the bestseller chart could possibly help. It's called the 48 Laws of Power. What about law number one? Never outshine the master. Or law 28 might help you enter action with boldness. Law number 15 crush your enemy totally. No one wants to feel powerless, do they? You're probably needing help in the power category. Want more joy and contentment? Who doesn't, of course? Number seven on the self-help bestseller list is The Four Agreements, a practical guide to personal freedom. And it has this blurb on the back. It says, the author reveals the source of self-limiting beliefs that rob us of joy and create needless suffering. Based on ancient Toltec wisdom, I'll let you look that up, the four agreements offer a powerful code of conduct that can rapidly transform our lives to a new experience of freedom, true happiness, and love. That book's promising a lot. It's powerful. It's rapid, it's transforming. That is serious help. But we're Christians. We worship and we've pledged our lives to the living God. And of course, it's easy to poke some fun at the Amazon self-help book list. But we know the standard answer for a Christian, don't we? Where do we find our help in life? Well, the Lord, of course. Now, that's an easy answer for an ancient Israelite who lived 3,000 years ago, as well as a Covenant Hope Church member who's living in 2021, like you. But it's, it's the simple truths that we so quickly forget, right? That's why an unnamed Israelite wrote Psalm 121. I mean, just like he and his fellow Israelites, when we need help, we ask the question, where do I turn? And it's often not the Lord. Remember, we're considering the Psalms of Ascents, and those Psalms are Psalms 120 through 134. These are songs that Israelites would have sung as they traveled up to and back from Jerusalem, back to their homes, perhaps in faraway lands. They they would be going up to Jerusalem where they would attend sacrifices and feasts that the Lord commanded them to participate in at least three times a year. 
And they had to go to Jerusalem to participate in those. That's where the Lord said those feasts must take place, not back home. These psalms were like songs for the road. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 121 and follow along as I read. It's in your Bible. Of course, it's right about in the middle part of your Bible if you have an Old and New Testament. The Psalms are right about in the middle. Psalm 121. Or you can turn in your bulletin to page 8. It's printed there. Psalm 121. A song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray to this Lord who helps. Heavenly Father, we desperately need your help. And I desperately need your help, Lord, in order to preach this part of your word faithfully. Lord, would you help us? In Christ's name, amen. Look, the message of this psalm is a message for you, beloved, and this is it. Seek help from your unlimited, all-powerful, and loving Lord. Seek help from your unlimited, all-powerful, and loving Lord. In this simple psalm, the writer identifies and illustrates the qualities of God that make him our ultimate helper. Now, there's at least four characteristics of God and his help for us that the psalm focuses on, and I'm gonna list them for you right now, but I don't want you to bother writing them right now. I'm going to repeat them again as I move through the sermon but just let them wash over you. The Lord who helps is our powerful creator, first of all, our powerful creator. The Lord helps at all times. The Lord helps against all threats. And the Lord helps by giving eternal life. First, our powerful creator. The Lord helps, the Lord who helps is our powerful creator. And we see that in verses one and two. In verses one and two, the pronouns are personal and they're in the first person. It says, I lift my eyes. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. And then verse two recounts what is a personal discovery or a realization for the psalmist. And then it begins to shift in verses three through eight, the rest of the psalm, to something like a testimony or an exhortation to the reader. Or in the case of a song being sung by these Israelite pilgrims, they would have been singing it to one another, for example. 
if it was being sung by Israelite pilgrims as they made their way up toward Jerusalem. In verses one and two, they'd be recounting to themselves a rock solid Bible truth as if they were remembering it for the first time themselves. Now the realization of the writer is sparked and triggered here in these verses by a physical sight. It's actually something that he sees. Perhaps he imagined himself journeying. You can imagine him journeying. He's walking a path up into the hills and the mountains of Judea and he's pondering where he's going to get the help that he needs in his life, whether it's help that he needs on this journey, literally, or maybe it's help that he needs back home in some way. And then he stops, and he pauses, and he looks up toward Jerusalem, he looks up into the hills, toward the mountain of the Lord, where the temple is, the place of sacrifice, the holy of holies, and the mercy seat, which represents the footstool at the base of the throne of the living God, and it dawns on him. My help comes from the Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. When I was about 14 years old, I went with my Boy Scout troop to the western part of the United States to a Boy Scout camp there. We hiked for 10 days in the back country of New Mexico. We covered about 100 miles during that time. That's a lot for a 14-year-old boy. Each day we'd hike about 16 kilometers, to put it in metric terms, with a 25-kilo backpack on our backs, we'd get to the end of the hike that day, we'd set up camp, we'd cook over a fire, we'd sleep in tents, and then we'd get up and do it the next day again. Now one thing that's tricky when you're hiking is both watching where you're stepping on rocky, unstable trails and taking the time to look up and see where you're going or to see the amazing vistas, the amazing creation that God has on display right in front of you. And believe me, there were amazing sights to see on that trip. I'll never forget it. But when you're on those last few kilometers of the day and that 25 kilo backpack feels more like 100 kilos, your eyes are down. You're looking at the trail. You're trudging along. It's hard to look up. And you just want to make it to the next camp where you can rest. That's what the burdens and the challenges of our lives can do to us, right? We're just trying to get by, thinking about how we're gonna solve our problems, fix what's broken, find the help that we need. But we've got to look up, up to the hills, up to the Lord. The psalmist could look up to the hills and be reminded that the Lord of the temple could be his help, but perhaps even more than that, he is the Lord who made those hills. What could qualify the Lord to be your ultimate help and the best help that you could find more than remembering that he is your creator? The one who fashioned the entire universe from nothing. The one who flung stars and planets into outer space. The one who causes hearts and lungs and fingers and toes to form on babies in their mother's womb. Our creator God, your Lord, is the best helper that anyone could ever have. 
Oh, church, lift your eyes up to the Lord when you need help. Don't forget who is your greatest helper, your most able helper. Remind yourself by diving into God's word daily where it reminds us. Remind yourself by not neglecting the weekly gathering where we sing about the Lord who helps us. Remind yourself by day in and day out, maybe even hourly, bringing your needs and burdens to him in prayer. And remind one another by praying for one another out loud in each other's presence. Our limited minds don't easily grasp and hold on to characteristics like unlimited and all-powerful that describe our creator God. It slips away from us. But if he's created everything from nothing, he can help with anything. In verses one and two, the psalmist is reminding himself of who his greatest helper is. But in verse three, he begins to sing verses in this song that become a testimony to those who are traveling up to Jerusalem with him. And so in verses three and four, he's declaring the extent of the Lord's help. He declares the Lord helps at all times. That's the second point this afternoon. The Lord helps at all times. Perhaps you just wanna write down at all times. In other words, the Lord is always aware of the help you need, and he's always ready to give it. It says in those verses, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's attentive to every step that you take, and he's working to ensure that you don't lose your footing. On our way back to visit home after our first year here in Dubai, our whole family stopped in Switzerland with our four girls, ages five to 12, and we went on some gorgeous day hikes. Now you're beginning to think that I hike all the time, it's not true. But this was an amazing outing for us, an amazing trip. Hiking in Switzerland, uh, if you're not familiar with it, is not actually too physically demanding because in most places you have the option of riding a tram up the side of the mountain and then hiking across the ridges. And so there's not much up and down hiking to it there. But when you're thousands of feet up on the mountain, in many places you're walking along a narrow path that has extremely steep drop-offs on either side. I mean, the Swiss do not believe in handrails for some reason. And if you have some fear of heights, you're always thinking, look, if I stumble in that direction or that direction, I'm gonna go tumbling down the mountain and I'm probably not gonna stop until I get to the very bottom and they're gonna need to sweep me up with a, a shovel. You better believe I kept a keen eye on those four young girls who didn't seem a bit bothered by the heights. The Lord lovingly secures your every step. You're not going down the mountain. And God doesn't fall asleep and lose track of you and your needs either. Many of you are new parents and you're experiencing the sleepless nights that come with the Lord's gift of a new baby. You've stayed up up into the early a.m. hours 
rocking and padding and standing watch over them, but even though you're driven by an overwhelming and immense love for this new child, this new member of your family, a gift from God, if that baby gets quiet and still, you're going to start to nod off. A sleeping baby usually results in sleeping parents. The Lord never sleeps. He doesn't get tired. He's always paying attention to his adopted sons and daughters who've trusted in Christ, his son. Under the wicked reign of King Ahab, Elijah served Israel as a faithful prophet of the Lord. And while Israel became full of idolatrous prophets who worshiped the god Baal instead of the Lord, Elijah, wanting to prove that the Lord was Israel's true God, proposed a, a sort of a prophet showdown on the top of a mountain. And so 450 Baal prophets gathered there against Elijah, just Elijah. And they built two wooden altars. They sacrificed a bull on each one of them. And Elijah told them, and this is a quote from scripture, you can call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all day long, the Baal prophets danced and cut themselves and called on Baal to rain down fire. Nothing, nothing happened. Halfway through the day, Elijah started teasing them and he said, and again, I quote directly from 1 Kings, Shout louder. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and he must be awakened. Well, I'll let you go and read the end of the true story there in 1 Kings chapter 18, but you can be sure that it didn't end well for the Baal prophets. The Lord doesn't go to sleep on you. He is ready to help his people at all times. Do you feel like the Lord isn't paying attention to your circumstances in life right now? Maybe your trials are dragging on and you've been desperately asking him to change your situation. But that trial doesn't seem to end. And yet, even if it doesn't end, brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean that God isn't paying attention because it's quite possible that the help that he wants to give you is endurance and joy in the midst of the trial. So many times in the New Testament, Paul speaks about the endurance that the Lord gives. In fact, he prays for the Colossians in chapter one, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Jesus promised us, I will never leave you or forsake you. Brothers and sisters, turn to the Lord who is your help at all times. If verses three and four emphasize our ever watchful Lord who helps at all times, verses five and six testify to the Lord who helps against all threats. That's the third point this afternoon. We see that in verses five and six, against all threats. It says the Lord is your keeper. 
The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The sun and the moon were created by God on the fourth day of creation and God set them in the heavens to separate the day from the night. And the author of Genesis describes them as rulers over the day and the night. So Genesis 1, 16 through 18 says, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. Of course, we praise God for the benefits that both the sun and the moon bring to us. But I don't have to explain to people who live here in Dubai about the threat that the sun can bring. You moved quickly from your car in the parking lot into the building. As rulers of the day and the night, the sun and the moon can represent inescapable threats to us in this life. Much of our comings and goings in this land involve trying to escape direct sunlight. That's why in a land where it rains just a few times a year, we regularly see people walking down the street with an umbrella up. I did a dumb thing last Saturday. It was 3 p.m. and I wanted to exercise but I didn't want to jump around in my living room, and so I went for a run. 3 p.m. in the afternoon, in July. Yes, you think after 19 years in this country that I'd know better. I ran about six kilometers, or rather I should say I jogged and walked six kilometers. The sun is brutal during this time of year. I mean, my heart rate shot up so high and it barely slowed down when I would slow down to walk because I was still in the sun. And the few times that I was able to walk in some shade, my heart rate would begin dropping. That's how harsh the sun's rays were. I barely made it back to the house. The sun is a threat to us. Now, you might be wondering what threat the moon is to you. There were many cultures during these times, the times of the psalmist, where they believed that the moon could have a negative effect on people's mental state. On the other hand, one noted Bible interpreter has observed that the imagery in the psalm comes from a military life. And if that's so, then it could be that the moonlight here could be describing or be described as a threat because it could expose your army's position to your enemies and be a threat just as much as the desert sun could destroy an army. There's nothing that threatens us that the Lord can't oppose and protect us from, brothers and sisters. Three times the psalmist has used the word keep so far in the psalm. The Lord keeps you or the Lord is your keeper. The NIV translates that Hebrew word uh, into the phrase watches over, and some translators would use the word preserves. But I think it's important, no matter what term we think of the Lord's protection against threats in, to think about, to pause for a moment 
and consider how the Lord helps us against all threats. How does He do that? How does He preserve us? For the psalmist, he argues that the Lord is His shade from the sun in verse 5. The Lord provides shade, of course, for us by leading us to trees or shelter. The point is that the Lord often helps us against all threats through his supernatural guidance of things and people that we consider to be very natural, actually. He brings people into our lives to help us, sometimes believers, sometimes non-believers. He has control of both. He can change our circumstances, of course. He can give us ideas of where to go for help. He can give us wisdom about how to make choices that we're faced with. He is even the one who's behind physical remedies and inventions that are possibly made possible by science. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explained to his disciples that if the Lord takes care of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, will he not then take care of you? But think for just a moment, how does the Lord take care of the lilies of the field? And the birds in the meadows? Well, he makes it rain on the lilies. He causes food to grow in abundance for the birds. The Lord often uses natural means to help us against all threats. But don't forget, he's behind it all. And so when a Christian, a non-Christian, or a Christian co-worker helps you, you should thank them. And then thank the Lord, because he was behind the help. When chemotherapy heals your cancer, thank the Lord for preserving you. The Lord was the one helping you. The Lord helps his people against all threats. Brothers and sisters, is there a potential threat that's looming over you right now? Could it be trouble in your marriage? The Lord can help you against that threat. Maybe you live with some fear that one day one of your children could be harmed. The Lord can help you against that fear and anxiety. Maybe you fear for the loss of your livelihood. The Lord can protect you and help you against that threat. He can help us against all kinds of threats through all kinds of means. Now the last two verses are like a big exclamation point on the psalmist's testimony to the Lord who helps. A powerful creator who helps at all times and against all threats gives the greatest help by giving eternal life. That's the fourth point this afternoon in verses seven and eight. The Lord helps by giving eternal life. Listen to those verses again. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. In these final two verses, the psalmist describes the Lord as our keeper three times. The greatest threat that stalks us in life is 
death itself. And worse than physical death is eternal spiritual death, the punishment that we would go on experiencing for eternity forevermore if the Lord did not see fit to send his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement for us. The greatest and most constant threat to us is something that we have brought on ourselves. The condemnation that we deserve for our sin against the Lord. Our sin would have doomed us to stand before the Lord and find him not being our helper, but our judge. But the Lord sent us help in the form of his son, Jesus. Jesus Christ came into the world and he walked in righteousness and obedience to God the Father, even though he daily faced the evil of sinners and the traps of Satan, and the Lord helped him. In his death then on the cross, he was taking on the judgment of God that we deserved. That was the greatest act of help for us that we could ever wish for. Every successive helping miracle that Jesus did in his earthly life was signaling that there was a greater help to come. Every leper that he healed, every paralytic that he raised up, when he fed the 5,000 from practically nothing and when he calmed that storm to stillness, all those helps pale in comparison to the help of giving us eternal life through the forgiveness of sins and the promise of resurrection. And this unlimited, all-powerful help by giving us eternal life is ours when we repented of our sin and took Christ as our Lord and King. It was guaranteed to us. The gospel is the good news of the greatest help that comes from Christ Jesus eternal life. Brothers and sisters, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things, especially the help we need in our time of need? Throughout this psalm, this God of help is called the Lord. The Lord is his covenant name, the name that signals the promises that he's made only to those who believe in him. If you haven't called on Christ to forgive your sin and be your king in this life, then his unlimited, all-powerful help is not available to you. But it can be. It can be if you turn to Christ in faith and forsake your sin. Turn to Him in faith. What better decision could you make in your life than to trust this God who helps those who call on Him? What better decision could you make than to seize the greatest help that He offers? Don't wait, brothers. Don't wait, friend. Trust Him today. The author's inspiration for his testimony to God's help that we've gone through here in verses three through eight, it began with his remembering 
or realization by looking up to the hills and asking, where does my help come from? And he knew the answer. He knew the answer because he knew what had happened in those hills long, long ago. You see, the pilgrims making their way up to Jerusalem would sing this song. They'd be looking up to the hills where Abraham had taken his only son, Isaac, to sacrifice him at God's command more than a thousand years before they had walked these paths. And when Abraham did that, those thousand years ago, prior to these Israelites walking through those hills, the Lord had provided a ram to sacrifice instead of Isaac on the mountaintop. Only hundreds of years would pass then until Jesus would make his way up through those hills to Jerusalem where he would hang on a cross in our place and offer us the greatest help that we could ever want. Oh, church, don't look elsewhere. Look to the Lord. He is your help. Seek help from Him. His power is, it never ends. And He loves us. Let's pray to Him. Heavenly Father, we praise You and thank You that You are our help. We don't deserve your help. You don't have to help us. And yet you, in your lavish grace and mercy, have helped us by sending your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and he rose again to offer us the promise of resurrection and eternal life face-to-face with you. We praise you for that gift, and we know because you've given us that in Christ that you'll be every other kind of help that we need. Help us look to you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. The Lord will hold us fast no matter what. Let's stand and sing to him our last song.